Father, we're thankful that you are the perfect Father in heaven, that you love us with a perfect love, a sacrificial love, a love that never fails, that carries us through all of life. And so uh, we want to be people who know it better. We want to know your love better that we might be changed, God. So we come today here to church to hear your word worship you, to respond to what you have to say to us. We ask that you'll speak intimately and personally to each heart here now. We'll hear from you. God, encourage us, strengthen us, convict us as needed be. Only you know. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, good morning. Good to see you. Welcome to Risen Life. Glad you've chosen to worship with us this morning. And uh, as we do Sunday by Sunday, we, we study the Bible carefully. We believe it is God's Word that speaks to our hearts. We'll actually see that in the text this morning. <clears throat> I'm Pastor Kevin, by the way. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And, and so we share week by week. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one of these in the chair in front of you. Um, and you could turn to page 986, and you would be right with us this morning. We're going to study 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, <clears throat> We're in this series, and you can tell in our worship music that it speaks a, a lot of the second coming of Christ, that there, everything is marching to an end uh, in which there will be a, a judgment and eternity of blessing and bliss for those who are believers in Jesus Christ, and so we're encouraging people to live holy lives and be ready. That's what we're after this morning. Uh, as we teach this whole series in First Thessalonians, actually as a whole, this morning in chapter 2, uh, we're looking at a text that talks to us about Paul and his really defense of his uh, love for the people and his teaching of the word. And so I, I'm going to read these verses, actually, and I want you to hear. It, it feels a little bit like an example of what he said in Ephesians 4, 15. Uh, Speak the truth and do it in love. All right, so let's listen to Paul here now as he writes in uh, chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians, verses 13 to 20. It says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, we spoke it to you, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always, to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last so there's, there's this paul preaching the truth and people responding in various ways then look at look listen to his heart as he shares it but since we were torn away from you brothers for a short time in person not in heart we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you i paul again and again but satan hindered us for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our lord jesus that is coming Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. So we want to speak the truth um, in love as we see this in this text this morning. You know, um, there's plenty of people that that speak truth, um, but don't do it very loving, right? You ever had that experience? And there's plenty of people that say all kinds of things that are crazy, but they love you, right? And then you have that experience. 
But there's not a lot of us, and this is what the checks is challenges, to speak the truth and to do it in love. Um, I was in the bank branch this past week where Mary works, and um, there's about six that work there. Um, and I come in, and, and they kind of all know what I do, and uh, crazy Pastor Kevin, you know. So, But, um, <laughs> but uh, once in a while I'll do this. I did this something a little bit like this uh, this week, I, I turned to one of the young men that I, I just I love him. I, I love him, and uh, and I turned to him and he said, "Are you loving Christ like love Christ? I mean, are you loving your wife like Christ loves the church?" In a bank branch, so everybody could hear, right? <laughs> That's crazy, Kevin, right? Crazy, Kevin. But that is speaking the truth in love in a public place, right? And uh, finding appropriate and fitting, you know, ways to do that so people hear the truth and hear it in love is, is what we're aiming for. In all sorts of contexts uh, this morning as we study. So let, let's look at Paul now speaking the truth here. Uh, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Um, Paul, it says in Acts 17, came into Thessalonica, uh, to whom this church is, this, this letter is written. And um, it says that he went to the synagogue and he preached week after week, and I'm sure he preached other places, but he brought the truth, the truth of God's message. And he's rejoicing and he's thanking God that as he spoke the word, as he spoke the truth, the word of God took root and changed him. And the Bible tells us that that was what the word of God is intended to do. It's what we pray about when we pray that God's word will land on hearts and change us. It's powerful, the Bible says. Sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides the marrow from the bone, you know. And it's profitable for teaching and correcting and training in righteousness, right? And it comes and it, it speaks to us and it changes us, right? This is the one book that we read that comes and it critiques us. Every other bit of literature we read, we should be critiquing it because it's filled with errors and mistakes and made by man. This is God's word and it's perfect and it comes and it critiques us. And it comes and it convicts us and it changes us and it bears fruit. And it says by the word of God in 1 Peter chapter 1 that we are born again by the living word of God. We hear the message of the gospel of Jesus and his death for us and his resurrection and how he died for our sins and that we are sinners and we need to repent and trust him. And it, and it convicts us and it changes us. That's what the word of God does. In fact, why are you so crazy on Sunday morning when you could be up in the mountains to be sitting here listening to a lecture? And all the people were silent. Like, that's a good question. <laughs> because you hear the voice of God spoken through us. Right? That's what preaching's about. And it's God that you're here to meet with and hear from. Not Kevin or Robert or Jared or whoever. You hear from God. And he speaks through his word. And us, his vessels, right? And so our aim is to teach this Sunday by Sunday. And by the way, I mean, it's, it's one of the real blessings of being a preaching pastor is we get to see a little bit of how God takes these sermons week by week, says things that we weren't even trying to say, and says them to your heart and points things out in your life that we weren't even trying to do. And that's what God does with his word. And he takes it, it's alive, and, and he changes us by it. Now, 
So Paul's rejoicing at this, that the word is spoken, it changed hearts and lives. And then he gives some evidence, right? He's rejoicing that it actually changed them. But look at the evidence that it actually took root in their hearts. Verse 14. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. Okay, this was a, this was a church in Judea that was, that was suffering and persecuted. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. In other words, you Thessalonians are suffering for believing. And these people killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. And they displeased God and oppose all mankind. And so people heard the word of God, they responded, they gave their life to Christ, and they said, Jesus, whatever it costs me to follow you because you gave me everything by dying for me, I'll do it. I'm yours. So it means to follow Jesus. You see what he did for you? Gave you his whole life? And you say, okay, my life's yours. And even if it means suffering, and that sometimes suffering is the test of our faith, how true and sincere we are. I, I had a friend, good friend, back in the 80s who worked with me, uh, John Deere, and, uh, and he accepted Christ, was thrilled. Um, and then he lost his job. His wife kicked him out of the house. And he said, this is too high of a price to follow Jesus. I'm done with Jesus. Tragic, right? Tragic. Not that Jesus did those things. I think he was wrong in even assuming that. But, but the point was, his life got too hard for for following Jesus and say, yeah, I'm done. And, and what Paul's rejoicing over is that these people are persecuted and they're standing firm. They're staying in the game. And indeed, even, Paul says, I'm even thanking God for the privilege of suffering and standing with you in your suffering. I was reading in one of the commentaries this week as I was studying for this passage, a reminder of a story that probably most of us are familiar with, but it's an amazing story. Uh, of Corrie Ten Boom and her sister, who were in the concentration camps in Nazi Germany during World War II, and and they were uh, put into this barracks that was just flea infested, nasty fleas everywhere. And so uh, Corrie was saying, "I don't hate these fleas," and her sister turned to her and said, "We're going to thank God for these fleas every day. We're going to thank God for these fleas. This suffering that we're going through, we're going to thank God for." And so uh, reluctantly, Corrie did that. Um, and come to find out years later after the war was over that um, because of those fleas, the prison guards at the concentration camp refused to go into those barracks because they hated the fleas, and they were able to lead Bible studies every day because those guards stayed out because of those fleas. Amazing story, right? And, and this is God. He, he takes our suffering and, and, and forms it for our good, and, and we're not ever likely to suffer in that way. We trust God, that that won't happen. It could, I suppose, but not likely. But we suffer in some very significant ways. In fact, I was kind of bemoaning the fact to a good friend of mine that, you know, as Christians, we don't, we're kind of spoiled in America. We don't suffer much. And so these passages can't mean much to us or as, as much to us. And she reminded me, she said, you know, Kevin, just standing against sin every day in my life, right, and struggling to be a, a woman of God, um, is a deep suffering for me. Don't minimize my suffering. And um, I think that's right. I think the standing against sin and the temptations of this world uh, for Jesus and to be thankful for it, right? My wife reminds me occasionally from time to time, you know, Kevin, if you didn't have the battles of struggling with the flesh, you know, what would you be like? 
you'd probably be pretty proud and right so that there's a benefit to the struggles of the suffering we we go through and so uh, paul rejoices now he also tells us in this section that there's another response entirely different response uh, to the teaching of his word and that is people that opposed him and uh, people who drove them out of Thessalonica. In fact, Paul now is writing from Corinth because he had been driven out. Um, they resisted the gospel. And it says um, in verse 15 that, that these people who resist the gospel, that are opposed to the truth of God's word, displease God and oppose all mankind. Um, it goes on to saying, he oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Um, I, w- I want you to see that those who oppose God's word and oppose the gospel are actually opposing all mankind. Right? Because all of mankind needs to hear the gospel to be saved. It is the message of love. And when you stand against the gospel, you are standing against love. And you're standing against the possibility of salvation and through hearing the gospel. And so the most loving thing anybody can do is to speak the gospel and let it be heard. Let it ring out, right? We, but we, we were a smarter people, though, in America than to believe that, right? Because we know we should all just keep our thoughts to ourselves, Right. Don't say it out loud because it might be offensive to somebody. It might upset somebody. So, so believe what you want, but just don't say it, right? Don't leave a track on the bench in the park, right? Don't speak it at the university, the gospel, because that's offensive. And the Bible says when you oppose the gospel like that, you are opposing everybody because it's the only hope that we have of salvation is, is this this gospel. And so what we should argue for as Christians in our culture is an open marketplace where ideas are shared freely and shared in love and graciously and people have the freedom to hear all the ideas and choose for themselves. That's what we should argue for, not any oppression of the truth in any way, shape, or form. Graciously, kindly, lovingly allow ideas to be heard and let people hear the gospel that way. Right. I make this challenge all the time with my very good LDS friends. I say, I say to them, look, it, um, let's, let's make a little exchange here. I'll go to your church this Sunday, and you come to mine next Sunday. And, and several have taken me up on this over the years. And uh, so I've gone several times to LDS services, and they've been here. But I want people to hear the clear teaching of the gospel. Right? And so let, let's be people that encourage a sharing of faith and you given the opportunity to share and boldly share the truth of what the Bible teaches us about Jesus Christ. Now, these people who opposed this teaching and chased them out of town, it says, and these are strong verses, end of 16, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins but wrath has come on them at last. Now that's an interesting phrase. Fill up the full measure of their sins. The Bible uses that phrase or something similar to it a few times and it speaks of God patiently waiting 
for people to repent and turn and trust Christ as Savior. In other words, God is a God of love. God is a God of grace and mercy. He's not quick to anger and judgment. He patiently waits that people would turn. But there is a day when it fills up the full measure of their sin and there will be a judgment. That's common. That's what that picture is. God has waited so long. He's been so patient. And these people have been doing all kinds of creepy things. And God finally says, okay, I'm done with them. Now my wrath's going to come. Right? And let me say this. That God's holy justice and his holy wrath against sin is a glorious thing. It's a glorious thing. Think about it for a moment. Don't we rejoice when, like Romans 13 says, our government stands against hideous sins that harm people and children and the weak among us? Don't we rejoice when they stand once and for all against evil? It's a glorious thing, isn't it? It's a glorious thing. And so we rejoice when God finally says enough is enough. In the days of the Amorites, in Genesis 15, he waited four generations for those people to repent, and they didn't, and he brought his judgment down. Four generations later, if we were in that time, we might have said it might have been a little sooner. It would have been better, God. But he came, but when he did come and he judges them, right, through the Israelites, we go, finally, that's a glorious thing. Furthermore, his wrath is a loving thing. Think about it with me for a moment, right? This is what our God tells us in his scriptures, that we are born rebels and we are asked to turn, right? And to trust Jesus, who he lovingly sends to die for our sins, to pay the punishment that we deserve, and to turn from our sins and to trust him. And all who do that will live with him forever. But he also gives us the option and the choice to not repent to do it however we want and rebel and do evil our whole life through where we're given that option, right? And to those, he says, if that's the choice you make, you will spend all eternity away from me, just like you chose to be away from me through your life, right? Now think about that. Heaven is going to be made up of those who are repentant people who want to serve and worship Jesus, That's going to be an amazing place. Can you imagine where God just all of a sudden says, all the rebels can just come on in and stink up this whole place with your bad behavior and your looting, your stealing, your criminal activity, and heaven's going to be filled with all kinds of junk. That's about as unloving as you can be to a group of people that turned and trusted Jesus, isn't it? See, it's a loving thing. All of God's attributes blend together. But I want us to see that there's such a good thing that God finally comes to the end sometimes and says, that's it. By the way, those of you who are being baptized that need to get changed, this would be a good time to kind of sneak out and get ready for that. <clears throat> so God, so Paul speaks the truth. But he also speaks the truth uh, in love, with genuine love and, and concern. Look at, look at verse 17 and 18. 
But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. And so I, I get a sense here again that people are accusing Paul, okay, you spoke the truth, Paul, but you really don't care about us. You just, just kind of dropped the grenade, right, and then ran to Corinth. And Paul's saying, oh no, I, I love you. I have affection for you. I want to be with you. In fact, as this text says, I was torn away from you. I didn't want to leave. I was chased out of town and God used that to bring me to Corinth to preach the gospel and a very fruitful ministry there. But, but I wanted to be with you. I was torn away. I love you. I care about you. I want to see you again face to face. I want to be with you. That's what he's saying. And I love those words, actually. I want to be with you face to face. You know, we are in this day of amazing technology, which is a great blessing. And I'm thankful for it, and I enjoy it, and I benefit from it. But Facebook is not face-to-face. <laughs> right? We, we have this sort of dysfunctional sense of intimacy today because we think being intimate is putting something profound on Facebook. And, you know, people have studied language, and, and who knows the precise nature of this. But it's pretty clear that over 50% of communication is nonverbal. What you see in the eyes and the expression of the face uh, matters every bit as much as the words that are said, doesn't it? And the tone, and the language, and the voice, and the, and the volume, right? We know this, right? And, and so these great gifts of texting and and emailing and Facebooking and whatever, um, miss all of that, right? And uh, it could be so easily misunderstood and hurtful too, by the way. And so Paul, um, knowing that Facebook was coming, said, uh, <laughs> by the power of the Spirit, <laughs> says to us uh, divinely, look, look at, let's get down, let's sit down face to face. That's important, right? And that's a good word for us, isn't it? We, we can so easily just do it all through social media. And uh, let, let's be people who sit down face to face. That's what we're called to do here because we can express love and concern and see tears. And, and uh, I think it's why we, we can come here together today too and, and listen. By the way, you can listen to these sermons on the internet, right? You can, you can skip Sunday. I probably shouldn't be saying this to you. But you really can and hear everything I said. But, but there's going to be something you're going to miss. Before you're all done, you're going to m- see you've missed something today, right? We're going to see tears today, I promise you, before we're all done. We're going to see love and affection and all kinds of things you can only have when you're face-to-face, um, which is why we gather here um, to, to do this. So, so Paul says, I just want to be with you. I want to see you. I want to look you in the eyes and, 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 and show love and encouragement and strength, strengthening to you. So, so who are those people for you, right? In this crazy day of technology, who, how do you do this? Let's push through this. Who do, you, who do you sit down with on a regular basis and are encouraged by, feel the love of, share life with, right? That you enjoy. 
We're just in this coaching seminar this week. Several pastors in our church went and um, and uh, they talked about making sure you have a regular appointment with some coach in your life. Somebody that helps you think through the things you're going through. Do that, right? And, and, and how do you pick those people? Who are those people? And, and so that's what I'm asking you. Who are they in your life? Who's walking with you? Who are you spending time with? Who do you sit down with? I think it would be a good thing if everybody in this room, at least once a week, took a half hour across a table somewhere just to do life together and talk through life. We'd all be better for it. Right? Or in a community group or, or somehow in a smaller setting where you look each other in the eye and, and, and walk with and stand with and love and care for each other. Let's do that. Together, right? I've been blessed, uh, and many of you know them, by Mark and Wendy Hoshizaki. I don't think they're here this morning. They said they were going to be out of town today, but they are missionaries from Japan, and they've faithfully sent us monthly newsletters for years, right? And you read them, and you read them with some interest, and yet you haven't seen where they've been, and they're not in front of you, and so it's very limited in how much impact it has on your soul, Unless you've had the benefit, as I have had now, to sit down and have coffee with them and hear their hearts and know who they are and now love them. And now I'm going to be really sad to see them go. I'm going to be like, Paul, I want to see you. And so guess what we're doing next year? Some of us are going to go see them. Some of us are going to sign up and go to Japan next year. And by the way, October 2nd is the meeting that you can come and hear about that. Jared leads it. So... um, so what a great opportunity, right? Because we, we, there's something about face-to-face that we all need. Right? I, I, couldn't, I couldn't make it here without this. I wouldn't be here today without Pastor Robert sitting face-to-face with me through the years. And many others, frankly. Many of you are in that place of loving me and caring for me and me you. So what a great thing. Now look, at this text says one more little thing. I want to make one more little point here. Um, He says that Paul longed to see them again and again, but Satan hindered us. Okay, Satan is big, and he is strong, and he's infinitely small compared to our God. God made him. And he runs, maybe in football terminology, kind of the same plays, basic plays, over and over again. He really does. But one of the plays that works for him, and so he runs it over and over again, is this play of isolating us. Trying to get us to not come together. Try to keep us away from each other. Try to keep us isolated. It's, it's profound in this culture. I don't know if you notice, this is a culture of isolation. People are isolated here. They don't have these kinds of loving, caring friends. And this is one of Satan's little schemes. And, you know, in our culture, unfortunately, we bite. We're we're too busy to sit down with somebody. Or, you know, last time I was together with them, they kind of hurt me a little bit. I don't know if I want to sit down with them again. And so, what do we do? We avoid them. 
Don't talk to them, right? You can even be married in that kind of situation. Just live isolated. I'm not talking to that person. They're hurting me right now, right? That's Satan's game. Keep us apart, sharing hearts. So let's press through this. Um, and work toward being together in and through life. I just count it the greatest privilege to walk with you, so many of you, through so many things of life. It's a great joy of mine, and, uh, and it feeds me as somebody who also needs that from you. Okay, so Paul um, <clears throat> concludes this little section with verse 19 and 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Now, what Paul is thinking of here, and he does this in every chapter in 1 Thessalonians, is the second coming of Christ. That's why we're singing these songs, right? And reminding ourselves that Jesus is coming back. There is a day when there will be a judgment, right? And out of that judgment comes an eternity based on that judgment. And, um, and so he's thinking about this. And he's thinking about, okay, how am I going to succeed? How am I going to be blessed when it comes to standing before Jesus? That's a question we all ought to ask. What's that going to look like? Okay. And in the the most basic sense, the question is, what have you done with Jesus? I I, I was down in Yuma with my kids who just moved there two months ago last weekend. And every road out of Yuma, you quickly come to a border patrol. And, And so I pull up to the border patrol and they ask one question. Just one. They look at you, roll your window. Are you a U.S. citizen? Yes. So you have a good day. One question. That's it. And there will be one primary question. I think there's lots else. But one primary question is, are you a citizen of the kingdom of God? That's it. That's the big question talk about more here in a second but but that's the big question if you if you've trusted christ as savior asked him to forgive you and turn from your sins and giving your life to christ the bible says you are part of the greater kingdom of god the universal church as some call it so that's that's a question we should ask ourselves but i want you to notice one more thing here and maybe this will apply to um more of us more specifically today. I want you to notice that Paul is saying that what matters is people. When you get to that border crossing, right? You ever gone to a border crossing and things get checked and have to be left behind? When you get to that border crossing, everything gets checked but people. <laughs> everything. Everything you like here on earth gets checked. Taken from you. 
And what goes through is people. That's what matters. That's what Paul's saying. People, people matter. And he says about these people, this is, this is amazing to me as I was thinking about it, that you are my hope, my joy, and my crown of boasting. Now you think about this, right? You're going to stand before Jesus and these people are your crown of boasting. That's what it says, right? What do you do with that? Now, this crown is a picture of a victor's wreath that is laid on the head of someone who just won an athletic event and they are the victor and they are boasting and they are joyful in their victory. That's the picture. Okay? This is important, I think. Because I think we've got to define for ourselves as we think about the second coming of Christ, what is it going to mean to be ready? And maybe in this text, what does it mean to win? What does it mean to be a victor in this setting? Right? I, I, I get so frustrated with myself and, and sometimes I don't know whether it's like the problem is me or this is something God did to me or what. But I am so competitive. I want to win at everything I do. All right? I know this can come out thousands of ways. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. A lot of times bad. But, but I was so thankful to see in this text a competition, Right? that I could enter and win and it not be sinful. <laughs> right? And that is to get as many of you as possible ready to meet Jesus. Right? So I'm in the fight here this morning. Right? I'm fighting for you. I am. I'm competing for you. This is a good thing. Right? Oh, God, forgive me for who I am. All right, so... <laughs> Have mercy on me. And it, it's going to be, get this, a crown of boasting. Right? I'm going to brag about you. Right? And you me. Right? Because I have had a part in your getting ready to meet Jesus. And you've had a part in mine. And you're going to boast about me. Because you haven't let me get away with all the crap I'd like to get away with. You help me become more like Jesus. You know that? Right? That's what a good church does with their pastors. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. So, so our aim is our aim is for people to know Jesus, to come to know him. Get as many in the kingdom as you can. Help them grow to become like Jesus as much as you can. And, and just be as fruitful in doing that as you possibly can um, in your life. Because in that day... Uh, we will boast about each other. Ben, you can come on up. And, and let me encourage you, maybe one more thing. Maybe we should do a little pregame boasting too. Could we just brag about each other a little bit now and then? Say, you are amazing at this. You encouraged me here. You made a difference there. Thank you for teaching my children here. Right? Thank you for rescuing me from that stupid thing there by being honest with me. Let's do a little boasting even now. Get ready for the judgment seat. Now, I'm going to close with this idea. This book of 1 Thessalonians is written to the church. And it's written to the church to encourage them along these lines to speak the truth, 
to do it in love and to be about the process of sanctifying people, helping people find Christ and growing in real life transformation, as we call it. And it is God's primary tool, not his only one. There's lots of other good ones, but it is his primary tool to accomplish that in our lives. And that makes the church really important. That you're standing before Jesus someday and how he receives you and your preparation to meet him is significantly dependent on the church. And you're receiving from the church what it's offering to you. Hence you're here this morning. And so the church becomes this really, really important vehicle in our lives for the sanctification of our souls. In fact, Pastor Robert and I were talking this morning how more and more we are believing that you ought to live and maybe adjust when and how you move based on what your church looks like. You may sh- maybe shouldn't move. I've, I've said this many times. You maybe shouldn't move away from here right now because this church is too important to you. And I think that's a biblical way to look at things. This church and the churches I have been a part of have shepherded my soul so that I think I have a fighting chance to stand before Jesus with great joy boasting about you. Thankful to be able to say that because that's a frightening thing to think about standing before Jesus, is it not? Furthermore, I have often taught as a pastor, and I was a pastor from when my kids were infants to now they're big, hairy, and ugly. No girls in that big group. (laughs) Just boys. (laughs) And moving all over, right? And so my kids just moved to Yuma, and, uh, and the first thing they did when they got to Yuma was find a church. Now look, I care deeply about their sanctification, about their growth, about their staying with Jesus to the end. I care deeply about that. I give my life to this. And there's all kinds of things you can do for your kids when they're growing up to help them love Jesus. But one of the most important things you can do is teach them to love the church. Because when they move away, and hopefully they do someday... Right? When they find a church, my soul rests because that church will keep them growing. So this morning we're going to celebrate this together. We've got three. The first, one was baptized in the first service. Three were baptized in this service. And, uh, you know, as these people come and share their faith, Some of you have been dads to them. Some of you have been friends to them. Some of you have been Sunday school teachers of them. Some of you just say hi to them, love them. And they are our trophies of grace today. We get to celebrate it together. It's an amazing thing. Let's pray. God, thank you for the chance to hear from your word. Thank you for your church. Thank you for how your spirit speaks to us through your word day by day. And uh, we want to be people who are ready. Oh God, 
Let us be the church that's ready for you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.